But that's not the story I'm trying to tell. I'm trying to tell the story of how, after I met Jackie Mann, I couldn't quite get him out of my head. I don't know why. I'd never heard of him, and that right there should have made him very forgettable. I was a comic, and I knew comics. And I don't just mean the big guys with the sitcoms or the bigger guys with the movie deals. Pigmeat Markham, Olsen and Johnson, Ernie Kovacs, Godfrey Cambridge, George Kirby. Famous or not, black or white, I knew my history. And if I didn't know anything about Jackie Mann, then Jackie Mann wasn't worth the energy it took to speak his name. Still, the way he laughed at me, said to forget about having big dreams, it made me think he knew what he was talking about. There was a comedian who hung out with me and the boys, whose father used to work in television back in the golden age. I asked her to ask her dad if he had ever heard of Jackie Mann. She asked him. Boy, had he heard of Jackie Mann. He remembered pretty clearly the stories that I would come to know real well. Jackie's days doing shows at the Copa and Ciro's, mixing company with the likes of Sinatra, Dino, and Damone, his on-again, off-again, up-down relationship with his girl, Tammy, the surprise wedding, the thing with the Fran Clark show, and, of course, the Sullivan show. I feel embarrassed now, listing events and incidents that, remembered and familiar to many, were once unknown to me. I feel ashamed that a guy like me, a guy who thought he knew a thing or two about the history of both comedy and his people, was so completely ignorant. I chose to be ignorant no more. I went back to the green kitchen a few times before happening across Jackie again, and asked him, begged him, to share his memories with me. Thankfully, he did. And over many plates of French fries, Jackie told me tales of a long-gone era with a verve and lingo that made every moment fresh and vivid. Putting Jackie's story on record, a story of time and place and history, has taken well more than a decade. It waited as I went from New York to Los Angeles, from stand-up to television and screenwriting, to finally, thankfully, publishing. Fortunately, like a fine wine, Jackie's is a story that has only gotten better with age. And that is the story I'm trying to tell. John Ridley, March 28, 2002, Hollywood, California. Let me tell you. You stop. You can't go on. Can't say another word. The clapping roadblocks you. The sound of the flesh of a thousand hands beating against each other. Men's hands, manicured most likely, and pinky ring decorated. Women's hands, most likely jeweled on five or six or seven out of ten fingers. Rings that match bracelets, that match necklaces, that match earrings, most likely. You don't know, not for sure. To all that, you're blinded. The gems, the bouffants and pompadours, the sharkskin suits, and the satin dresses. You're blinded to the high style of the times. The arc light spotting you cuts your vision and knocks down the people in all their finery to a silhouetted mass, a living ink blot that jukes and jives and howls as a single thing. Let me tell you, it's better that way. 
better they should be unreal and unintimidating, and that you are ultra-real, illuminated, glowing, three feet taller on the stage where you stand over the tables where they sit. Sight gone, all you're left with is the taste, yeah, the taste, and smell of the people. The smoke belts train-style from Fatima's and Chesterfield's, chewably thick and unavoidably swallowed, but overpowered by twenty varieties of perfumes that run the scale of stink from Chanel to Woolworth's. You're left with the sound of the thousand hands and the whistles and the roaring voices with the occasional call that comes after a joke. That's true. That's funny because it's true. And all that keeps you from saying another word. You can't go on. So let me tell you. I didn't go on. I stopped, and I stood, and waited for that ink blot to finish cracking up. I stood, and I waited, and I soaked up its applause and affection. I waited, and the waiting took time. The time the waiting took made the second show in the Copa Room at the Sands Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, run long. Like an unbreakable law of nature, the second rule of casinos was that the entertainment shows never ran long. The first rule was that you let the customer drink for free. Drink for free, eat for free, lodge for free. Generally, you kept them happy so that you could keep them at the tables, where the odds are so stacked against them it's nothing but easy to separate money from their well-liquored, well-fed fingers. But for the casino to get their dough, the customer had to be at the tables. And they couldn't be at the tables when they were in the showroom laughing it up, swinging to some crooner or otherwise engaged in non-gambling. The management, the boys from New York and Chicago and Miami, a balancing act of strong-armed Italians and slick-minded Jews, who quietly, very quietly, ran the casinos, didn't much care for their customers to be non-gambling. They hadn't traveled from city to desert to open a chain of hospitality suites. So, rule number two, the entertainment shows never ran long. Hardly ever. The first day of October 1959 was an exception. Twenty-four hours that were particular otherwise only in their insignificance. The Russians were behaving themselves. The Donna Reed show was new to TV. It had only been a bunch of months since Barbie's first date with America, freshly fifty-stated America. Other than that, it was just another Ike is president, Castro is evil, Elvis is God day. Except the second show in the Copa Room at the Sands Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, did the unthinkable and ran long. And it ran long because of me. And I wasn't worried in the least about upsetting the Italians or the Jews. I was the opening act for Mr. Danny Thomas. The opener of any show got exactly six and a half minutes to warm up the audience for exactly 43 and a half minutes of headline, straight from Hollywood, star-powered entertainment before they were herded back out to the casino for another complimentary mugging. But on that night, same as a lot of nights, I'd killed. I hadn't just done well. I'd slain the crowd. Left that ink blot flopping in the aisles. I had to stand and wait for the people to drain themselves of laughs and claps. Some headliners don't dig an opener going over big. You get rolling and they'll have you yank two and a third into your six and a half. 
The show is about them and only them, and don't even try to give them something to follow. But Danny Thomas wasn't Charlie Smalltime. Danny Thomas was the spit-taking star of the number four Nielsen-rated show on television. Danny Thomas could follow whatever I put out and take it higher. He tossed me the signal to stretch, to do an extra couple of minutes, an extra couple of minutes that would make the long show run even longer. So what? The management wasn't so guido they didn't know an audience that good time high translated into a bunch of crazy bets once they got back to the tables. So let me do some extra bits. Keep that customer happy. I finally rapped, and Danny hit the stage, bringing me back out for a few bows. As he launched into a trademarked Danny Boy, the backing band big and brassy, and rode the crowd into his own special groove, I took up a spot at the back of the room, got perspective, and started questioning myself. How did I get here? A black kid from Harlem working the finest club in the glitziest city in the world, opening up for one of the biggest acts in entertainment. After only a handful of years of really making a break in show business, and there was almost nothing I didn't have. There was almost nothing I couldn't do. Nothing, except walk out the doors of the Copa room and into the casino itself. It was 1959, and the only difference between Las Vegas, Nevada, and Birmingham, Alabama, was that down south they posted signs telling a black man where he couldn't go and what he couldn't do. Whites only, coloreds not allowed. In Vegas, you had to figure that out on your own. You figured it out quick style. Stay off the strip. Stay in Westside. Stay the hell away from...